Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's episode of Money Diaries is brought to you by Intuit, proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. It doesn't matter if you're self-employed, thinking about starting a side hustle, or just trying to get the most out of your money. Intuit has tools that help you achieve prosperity, whatever that means for you. Easy-to-navigate software like QuickBooks, TurboTax, and Mint help you take control of your finances so you can prosper. Learn more at Intuit.com. Intuit. Powering prosperity. So I'm like a very happy homeowner, but I would argue that it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. It's a lifestyle change. It's like marriage. You have to like decide you're going to stick with it for a while. Right. So if you're one of those like non-committal millennials who wants to be like a digital nomad, like writing emails from the beach in Thailand, like you probably shouldn't buy a house. I think that there's so much emphasis put on home ownership. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it goes back to that idea of like, it's the American dream. Yeah. I also think it's because it's tangible, right? Because you could invest in real estate without buying real estate. They have uh, real estate investment trusts. They call them REITs for short. But no one's going to be like, hey, why don't you come over and I'll show, I'll point to the ticker symbol on my statement versus come into my living room and we're going to have some food and then I'm going to cook you a meal in my kitchen. It's just a different experience. So today we're speaking with a woman who we're calling Samantha. She's 29 years old, and um, she's not only looking to buy a home with her fiancé, they're also planning for a wedding. So, Lindsay, you have a lot of experience in this area. Yes, I planned a wedding and bought a house. I do not recommend it. It's actually harder than having a baby. Wow. Yeah, truth. Dang. We talked about how expensive it is to have a baby in episode five. Go listen to it, really. But seriously, there's nothing crazier than throwing a wedding and buying a house in the same year. It's insane. You have to be an insane person to do it. You heard it here. Don't do both of those things at the same time. Hey, Samantha. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Wow, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So can you kind of start off with telling us your age and your salary and what's going on with you and your life? and money. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I'm 29. I just moved to Portland, Oregon a little over a year and a half ago with my then boyfriend, now fiance. And we moved up for a variety of factors. One was a lifestyle change. You know, I left a corporate job in the Bay Area where I was working 10 to 12 hours a day and just about four hours in commuting every day and just um, sort of hit the wall with that. That's a part-time job a week of commuting. Holy wow. Yeah, it was a lot. It was 6.15 in the morning to 7 at night every day. So I didn't really see sunlight. And um, I just had been sort of visiting the Portland area. I work in food and beverage. And there's a lot of really fun, exciting things happening in Portland. So I decided to move up and start my own business. So how much are you making now? So I I freelance. I'm an independent consultant. My income last year was $84,000, which is a bit less than I was making in the Bay Area. But for my cost of living, it was a, you know, an improvement, actually, financially. 
Can we get your joint salary? My partner and my joint salary for last year was $165,000. My fiance and I have been together for seven years, and we just joined our finances last year. And um, I had been a pretty aggressive saver. I would say he's a little bit newer to the saving game, um, but we have a mine, yours, ours set up. So that works really well for us. Our incomes are very similar. And so we make um, really similar contributions into the joint account. And then from there, we have it broken down into wedding costs, honeymoon, and the home home down payment. Did you prioritize home first, then wedding, then honeymoon? Yes. The wedding fund, we have a gift from our family to help with that. So that's an additional uh, $20,000 from family and then an additional five that we have saved for that. And then our budget is $6,000 for the honeymoon. So our contributions into saving right now are going to the honeymoon. Do you guys have an emergency fund? Yes, we do. We have a three-month emergency fund. And how much do you have saved for a down payment? We have $65,000 saved, uh, liquid and ready to go. That's awesome. And how long did it take you to save that 65000 It took um, probably three years. So basically I started, I put all of my bonuses into a um, robo-investor low risk. I contributed more to our down payment fund. And because I work for myself, my fiance is maximizing his 401k um, through his employer, which does a match. And so he is prioritizing that saving. Wow. Very smart. So what's your question for us today about homeownership? So Oregon has, it's extremely pro first-time home buying. Okay. Yeah, so our real estate agent, they're actually telling us that we should be planning, we can plan to put uh, as low as 12% down without being dinged on, um, what, what is it, escrow taxes. Right, and the trade-off then would be you're, you know, you're putting less down, so you're borrowing more, which means you end up paying more in interest over the life of the loan. Yeah, and more, and your monthly payments will be higher, too. Basically, what uh, the real estate agent said is that with our $65,000, we're pretty much looking at homes between, you know, three hundred and $500,000. Well, I guess my first question is, I wonder if it's better to buy a more expensive house or a less expensive house just in terms of how that affects your your equity. Paco, can you explain what equity is really quick? Because when I bought my apartment the first time, I had no idea what equity was. I okay. was just like, yes, I'm building it. Okay. So equity is basically the value of the house, how much the house is worth. Uh, equity can also be built in other ways. Do you think about somebody who's also building a business, creating equity in the business as well? You can create equity by you know, investing money in the stock market and having the value of your portfolio go up. I think approaching buying a house from an equity position is fascinating. It seems like really high-level ninja thinking. Um, But I think it sounds like, uh, you know, this is a little bit of real talk. It sounds like you might be trying to justify buying a more expensive house than you can afford. You have to consider, like, it's not just the mortgage. I want to, like, say that over and over again. It's not just the mortgage. It's not just the mortgage. mortgage. (laughs) It's also not just the down payment. Closing costs, yeah. Do you have to pay the real estate agent? Like, are there taxes? Are there homeowner association fees? Right. Repairs. Yes, it's crazy. Inspections. Right. And how much are you paying in rent right now? Right now, we pay $2,000 in rent, which is 22% of our after-tax income. 
So the monthly payments on a $500,000 home with 12% down, that would make our monthly home payments jump. So it would be 31. So you'd be going from paying 2000 a month to 3100 a month. Right. So the other part about like being equity forward or putting equity first in the equation is that is such a roll of the dice. There's no way to predict whether or not the house price is going to go up or go down. Anything can happen. And full disclosure, I worked a collections job at a bank the summer of 2008, right when the Ooh, right when everything, you know, <laughs> the, just the ass was falling out of the housing market. Brutal, right. taco. Really brutal. So I have firsthand yeah. experience of being like on the infantry, like on the lines, talking oh, yeah, to people totally. who have lost or they had they lost their job six months ago. They're over 100 days past due on on their home equity lines of credit and their mortgages. And there's absolutely nothing we can do. And I'm not saying that that is what's going to happen. I'm just letting you know that my own lens of how I view housing is very, very cautious. And when I explain the 2008 housing crisis, I explain it as this. Like, we have we have 100 years of housing data. So we're like, we are awesome humans. We have 100 years. We know everything. But What happened in 2008 is equivalent to you driving your car down the street, looking in your rearview mirror, and seeing Godzilla stomping around in the cars behind you. It's just something we would have not predicted. You're painting a great mental picture. So I I definitely don't look at housing from a, 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 you know, through rose-colored glasses. I look at it very cautiously. We can't predict anything. So leading with equity is, is dangerous, in my opinion. Dangerous. Okay. That's really helpful because I actually thought sort of my gut instinct was to be lower in the three to 425 and then meeting with some real estate agents and things they're pushing us up of course course they are (laughs) of course yeah and the real estate agent said you know actually you should be looking at the most expensive house you can buy because that's how you build your equity which i just wanted to gut check with you guys because that kind of made me a little itchy (laughs) you should continue to like trust your gut right and uh one of the other principles that i i really live by is trust but verify so, you know, check in with yourself. If that feels right, okay, trust your gut. Or you're talking to an expert. They're telling, they're giving you advice. Okay, trust what they're saying, but always verify. Coming up, we get into some seriously nerdy discussions. Everybody say it with me now. Fully amortized loans. Fully amortized loans. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> That's after the break. When my husband Ken and I were saving to buy our first apartment, we gave up all the creature comforts. I'm talking no cable in an era before streaming. No jelly on our peanut butter sandwiches, and cooking at home instead of ordering takeout. Intuit and Refinery29 understand that the path to achieving prosperity is not easy for all, but we also believe that everyone should have the tools and knowledge to achieve their financial goals. Intuit's financial tools give everyone the power to prosper, so you could get started on your path to achieving those goals today. Learn more at Intuit.com. Intuit. Powering Prosperity. I feel like one of the biggest pitfalls when it comes to buying a house is that people think it's always a win. Like, they'll always make money. I, I called it my friend Kristen Wong, and she's a, she's an expert on personal finances. She wrote this book called Get Money. She and her husband bought a place in Pasadena, California a couple of years ago. And I was like, Kristen, all right, you, you know how to, like, think about money, and you bought a house. I got to talk to you about what your experience was. They haven't been in the house very long. But she's like, Paco, actually, you know what kind of sucked? When I looked at the return, I realized that if I would have invested the same amount of money in the stock market, I would have made more money. So... 
I'm not saying that you should invest in the stock market. I'm just saying like, you know, for, and for the people listening who are like, oh God, I'm so far away from owning a home. And you're, if you're feeling like bummed about it, there's, there's totally other ways to build equity and there's other ways to participate in building wealth. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that the average homeowner return on investment is less than 2%. I mean, it depends on, I think the, the year span that you look at, but yeah, there's been times where you look at the 10 year return on a house and it's basically a freaking goose egg. Samantha, how long are you thinking you're going to stay in this house? We're looking at probably a a five to 10 year investment, um, but probably, or, you know, maybe three to 10. I think that right now we don't have the answer to that question because we just aren't sure how we're going to feel when we have kids. And we're not sure if we want to stay in Portland long term or move back down to California just because our families are down there. There's kind of like a general rule of thumb that in order to recoup on transaction costs, you should stay in the house for at least five years. Anything less than that, you're going to lose on the transaction costs, so the closing costs and all that stuff. The people who stay shorter than five years are are oftentimes speculators or people who are investing and they're flipping. But theoretically, we could turn it into an investment property and have somebody basically paying us rent that would be covering the, the mortgage payment. I don't know how it works in Portland. You know, in New York, you have to consider, like, are you even allowed to rent the apartment that you're living in? You know, a lot of co-ops, that's not even an option to rent out the apartment you own. Right. Yes. So every house is possible to rent. Most homes are zoned for an ADU. What's ADU? An accessible dwelling unit. Yeah. So like a granny flat. Yeah, exactly. So our sort of our goal would be to make a purchase that we could pay the full mortgage monthly payments, um, but then to create a rentable uh, ADU. That would be the dream if we did want to move. So, But really helpful to know the five-year. Yeah. And then, I mean, the only other thing to think about is if you end up being a landlord, well, you're going to be a landlord. So, uh, you know, run it like a business. I would have a brand new checking account strictly for the house. So all the rental income goes in there. All the expenses go out of there. You know, there's like a general rule of having like 1% of the value of the house just sitting around for repairs and things like that. If a pipe burst or things like that. And just leave that sitting in that operating checking account. Obviously have a savings account for the deposit. Don't touch it. Do the research on taxes and figure out like what the implications are having rental income. I love Paco, your outline of all the different accounts. I'm working on it, working on it, getting there. (laughs) Really inspirational. (laughs) And you mentioned earlier that you want to have kids. That would probably be about two years from right now. Someone once gave me really good advice that when you're beginning to look for a house, even if you're not thinking about kids in the picture, you should think about how much a kid is going to cost you and how that's Mm going to factor into your monthly budget. Okay, cool. I read in the Money Diaries book about principal-only payments, and that seems like a really good way to not have as much interest on a mortgage. With principal-only payments, you call up your bank and you say, I'm going to pay extra specifically toward the principal so that you can pay off your mortgage quicker. If you'll allow me to get super nerdy for one minute here. Do it. All right. So most mortgages, I mean, all mortgages are going to be fully amortized loans. So when a loan is fully amortized, what it basically means is the schedule. The schedule is laid out and you know exactly the amount you're going to borrow, which is the principal. 
and exactly what the interest rate is. Think about the principal as a big chunk that you borrow and the interest as, you know, a, a multiple of that, right? A percentage of that, a fraction of that. The very first time you pay your loan, you pay mostly interest and a little bit of principal. And then the next payment is a little bit more towards principal and a little bit less towards interest. If you call up the bank and you're like, yo, I want to attack this like hardcore and I want to do these extra principal payments, what you're doing is you're manipulating the equation. If you chunk down that big chunk, then the amount that you're going to owe is is lower. So that explains kind of why if you look at the difference between a 15 or a 30 year fixed, you pay so much less. Wait, one question I've always had, though, is what's the rush to pay down your mortgage? The rush to pay down your mortgage is so that you don't feel like a schmuck giving all of the interest to the bank and to feel better about not being in debt. And the other one, I think, is for people who, you know, they don't want to be in debt. They're just like, get this off the plate now. Hmm. But let's say that I was planning to keep the house for 10 years. Would it still make sense to make those principal-only payments when it came to that time frame? I mean, I think if you know that you're going to leave in 10 years, it might not make sense because you don't know what the value of the house is going to be. So you don't want to put in more than what you you end up getting back. Right. That's kind of what you were saying. Especially if you have like a low interest rate. Yeah. Or let's say if you're in the house for nine years and you're putting in a thousand extra dollars and if you have a really low rate it actually probably would make sense to you to take for you to take that difference that you would be putting towards principal and try to get a a greater return in the market and then then you win i don't think you want to put all your money in your house does that make sense oh i'm sorry i was frantically taking notes actually (laughs) that's adorable (laughs) please excuse me (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to give you another really great resource called the mortgagecalculator.org. Have you seen this, Lindsay? Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's so nerdy. I love it so much. You could get really specific on exactly how much everything is going to cost. And it'll calculate whether or not you should itemize for your tax return or if you should just take that standard deduction. You know, a lot of people, at least back in the day when people would try to talk to me about like, no, Paco, I'm going to buy a house because I want to get a tax deduction. One of the things I learned is Never let the tax tail wag the dog. And I also think a lot of people make the mistake of saving up a bunch of money, only caring about saving about money for the house fund, and then totally wiping themselves out with the down payment and not even having any kind of reserve or emergency fund. So when they do have to have repairs done or some kind of crap hits the fan, you know, they're in a very tight position where they have this lovely asset, uh, but they don't have any cash on hand. And it's not liquid. I mean, you're such a good saver, but you have to remember when you put your down payment, all like that extra money that you've saved is gone. Right. <laughs> you're going to have to start over again. Oh I God. know. <laughs> Sorry. It hurt. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Writing yeah. that check is scary. Oh, I'm not looking forward to it. I was just wondering what are some things that you should be asking being a first time home buyer. It's just so daunting. Yeah. I mean, I think a A big thing is like all the expenses that come after, like the closing costs are really expensive and and most people don't talk about that. And then like the cost of movers, the fact that the rug that fits in your living room now does not fit in your living room in the next house. Those little things really add up and kind of preparing yourself for that. And, you know, it's nice because you're also planning your wedding. So I don't know what your timeline is, but being able to like register for things is going to be 
key there too, nice. right? You can like be piggyback. Kept, yeah, piggy that back <laughs> a little bit. Gift cards are like really nice. I don't know if you're thinking about fixer uppers or like renovating. For me, that was out of the question. Ken and I are not people who are able to fix anything. We call the super the faucet leak. <laughs> we do not fix anything. So we knew we didn't want to go into like a lengthy renovation process. Right. Because a cheaper house might not be cheaper if you have to put all that energy into it in the long run. Yeah. We ended up paying more than we would have had we needed to like gut renovate the kitchen but we also are still married i think that if we had been through renovations together maybe we wouldn't be <laughs> so some practical advice here yeah. from Lindsay. wow there's so much to think about thank you guys so much this is this has been really great i love this nerdy talk and i'm gonna go check out that mortgage calculator and all of this and so i'm taking the money lead in terms of all of this so it's really great to be able to talk to other women who've been through similar things and are just willing to get into it you're welcome you're doing such an awesome job too yeah good luck with everything okay you too bye bye thank you so much for listening if you want to read the diary of today's anonymous caller head on over to refinery29.com slash money dash diary. And if you liked this episode, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. While you're at it, rate us and leave a comment to let us know what you think. This episode is produced by Jessica Chow and Jay Brunson. Our editor was Alvaro Ceballos. Our head of post-production is Stacey Scripter. We recorded at Argo Studios with Paul Ruest. And I'm your co-host, Lindsay Stanberry. And I'm your co-host, Paco De Leon. And for one year, I didn't buy anything new, and it totally sucked. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.